Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to get your, make sure your hands are loose. We're going to be flipping here and there in our Bibles, so get ready. If you are using one of those phones or pads, so get ready, get your fingertips ready. Hebrews 2, our focus will be from verses 10 to 18, and our emphasis will be Christ as our brother. Christ as our brother. We know Christ as uh, the servant of God. He says in Matthew 20 and 28, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve. We know Him as the servant of God. We know Jesus as the Savior of the world. Matthew 1, 21. It is He who will save His people from their sins. We know Jesus as the Creator of everything. Of the whole world and everything in it. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. We know Jesus as Lord. We ought to know Him as Lord. Sanctify in your hearts, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Christ as Lord. Christ as Lord. But we also must know Jesus as our brother. As our brother. So let's notice this. And hopefully we'll see some things that will be helpful. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, if you look at the end of verse 11. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers. Underline that. He is not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 12. I will tell of your name to my brothers. To my brothers. Hebrews 2, 12. Hebrews 2.17 Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be made like unto his brethren, his brothers, in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Brothers. Now go back with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew 25, 40, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me, my brothers. Look over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 10. Jesus said to them, now resurrected from the dead, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there I will see them. They will see me. Flip over, if you don't mind, to John chapter 20. John 20. Verse 17. Jesus to Mary Magdalene. John twenty seventeen, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to, go to my brothers and say to them, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God 
and your God. One other, Romans chapter 8. We may be referring to Romans 8 a few times tonight. Romans 8 and 29. Romans 8, 29. Uh, let's see. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brothers. As you know in your reading, Jesus refers to God as his Father also. And he teaches us to refer to God as Father. And so in a very real sense, Jesus is our brother. And he makes that emphasis. Now go back with me, please, to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And let's notice several things that Jesus, as our brother, does for us. Notice several things that Jesus, as our brother, uh, does for us. Hebrews 2, verse number 10. Notice, it was fitting that he for whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many, many sons to glory, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. First thing that Jesus does for us, he brings many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. That is, he creates the opportunity... For people on earth to become children or sons of God. Bringing those sons to glory. Ultimately, Jesus wants to see us in glory. Romans 8 verse 18. Remember what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. The glory. Why did Jesus suffer? Because he wants to see us in glory. In glory. Not just that, but Jesus wants his sons, bring his sons to glory in the sense that when we become children of God, then we can bring glory to God. Uh, John 15 verse 8, He that bears much fruit glorifies God. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. So one thing that our brother Jesus does for us, he brings many sons to glory. How does he do this? How does he do this? Well, first of all, notice in this verse, in, in verse 10, he says, The author... Of their salvation is made perfect through suffering. So Jesus, through his suffering and death, made a pathway for us to become sons of God, children of God. Notice this in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. 
And so Jesus, through his suffering and death and resurrection, created a pathway for us to become sons. And then on top of that, he gave us the new birth process. The new birth process. Go back to the book of John with me, and you know what, you know what chapter I'm thinking about. John 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus, whoever is born of the water and the Spirit, that's the one that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You go through the new birth process and you become a child of God. Okay. Now, notice as you're going back to the book of John with me, just let yourself go all the way back to John 1. John chapter 1. And notice uh, these words from John 1, 12. But to all who did receive Him, to all who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now our religious friends, and I think most very sincerely, will stop right there and say, well, you become a child of God by believing and receiving. Okay. But they don't keep reading, you see. Notice verse 13. Notice verse 13. The end of verse 12 has a comma. Verse 13. Who, who's the who here? These who have a right to become children of God. Who, that is, who are going to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not, of, not by being born into a fleshly family, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, you see, Jesus is saying, yes, you've got to believe, yes, you've got to receive my sayings, but also you've got to be born in accordance to the will of God. And he further explains that in John 3 uh, with Nicodemus. And so one thing our brother does for us, he brings many sons to glory. And what a wonderful brother that is. And you may not have good memories of a brother. Keith, you've got a few brothers. Are all your memories of your brothers great? Most of them. Most of them. I know. <laughs> oh, how you feel? <laughs> now ask Roger. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had I have a great brother, younger brother Brad, and uh, he and I had great time. Great, great. We played ball together. Um, we, um, we did everything together. We watched cartoons together. We, um, we were especially close because we had an older sister that we could pick up. Okay. And so especially my older sister got in the habit of going with friends somewhere and we were left at home. Well, we would prepare things for her when she got back home. The well, first thing she'd always do is go right to her room, right to her closet, and oftentimes there was something waiting for her in her closet. We had a great time. But not all memories of our siblings are great, but we have a great brother in Christ. So he brings many sons to glory. Going back to Hebrews 2 now. Hebrews 2. Notice another thing our brother does for us, verse 11. He sanctifies us. Notice the words in verse 11. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. That's a great statement. He sanctifies us. Now really that's just another way of saying what we just said. 
in the fact that Jesus brings many sons to glory. That basically means he clears the pathway, clears the path for us to become children of God, be saved from our sins. Sanctification, being sanctified, basically the same thing, except sanctify means to set, be set apart as special to God. But it's just another way of saying the same thing, really. But it's, it's a great thought. Jesus is the one that sanctifies. And those who submit to him are the ones who get are sanctified. Let's explore this for just a minute or two. Okay. Stay right here in the book of Hebrews and go over with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. And verse 10. Speaking of the fact that the old law has been abolished and now he has established the second. And he calls that second law the will. The will of God. Notice Hebrews 10 verse 10. By that will, we have been what? Sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Sanctified. Now notice uh, with me uh, verse 14. Hebrews 10, 14. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Notice Hebrews 10, and um, 29, Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who spurns the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has uh, outraged the Spirit of grace? So that covenant, that covenant established by the blood of Jesus is what sanctifies us. This makes sense because, you know, Jesus says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So through the offering of the body of Christ, once for all time, plus through the, the second covenant or the will of Christ, covenant of Christ, uh, we obey that, we submit to that, we read it, we understand it. And then through that process we are sanctified. Turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 5 right quick. Ephesians chapter 5. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Ephesians 5. Looking at verses 25 and 26. 25 talks about, again, Jesus giving up his life for the church. So notice how this is doing here. How, how are we made sons? Well, through the offering of Jesus and obedience to his will. How are we sanctified? Through the offering of Jesus and obedience to that, to that covenant, that will. How, so Ephesians 5.25, Jesus gave himself up for the church. And then notice Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word. So we could go on and on with these kinds of references. But notice, the second thing we'll say is the brother, our brother Jesus, he sanctifies us. And included in this sanctification, uh, as you can see in your own Bible, is the necessity of Jesus' death and also our submission to his will, which includes the washing of water, 
And we learn about baptism from the word of God. So it says, now, those, the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are one. What do you think that means? What do you think that means, are one? That may be up for a couple interpretations. Probably the one that I say will be right. Unity. Do what? Unity. Unity is a good thought. Unity is a, a real good thought. And that's very true. You know, Jesus prayed in John 17, 20 and 21 about us, that they all may be one, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one in us. Christ is certainly teaching that. And that may be very well what he's saying here in verse 11. But he also would be talking about the fact that Christ took on our nature. He took on, he took on human flesh. He that sanctified and those who are sanctified are the same nature, flesh. He took on our flesh. And then both of those views could be involved in the, in the verse. Nothing wrong with that uh, either. So, he wants to bring many sons to glory and he wants to sanctify the world. If whoever will be willing to listen to him, he'll do just that. Okay? Notice in your Bibles... Um, the end of verse 11 again. He's not ashamed to call them brothers, brethren. Saying, um, I will tell of your name to my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. What chapter in the Old Testament is that from? Verse 12 there. Psalm 22, 22. Psalm in view of Jesus' death. Quoted by Jesus from the cross. Uh, we say beautiful, but also tragic sort of psalm in a way. But uh, part of the victory of Jesus is expressed there in Psalm 22. And part of that victory is that he would be in a position to come to his brethren. Like we were talking about with the Lord's Supper Sunday morning. He's here with us. Matthew 26, 29. He's here with us. He comes down. He comes down when we worship. Not only at Lord's Supper, but also during singing time. He says, he says I will sing, to, sing in the midst of the congregation, sing praise to God. Notice that. Notice that the Lord is not ashamed to call us His brother. Are you, are you ever ashamed of your, your words? Are you ever ashamed of your actions? And you ever think, well, the Lord surely doesn't want me anymore. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have any need for me. Well, let us go to Him in repentance because he, he wants us. He wants us. He wants us in His kingdom. He wants us in His service. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. Um, and that teaches us we ought not to be ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ, at church, in church. We ought to stand up for one another uh, as the Lord does uh, for us. And so a third thing he does is he, he meets with us. He assembles with us. He gives, he gives us encouragement by his presence. His presence. But we probably don't think enough about that. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, uh, has the Lord saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
Philippians 4, 5 says that the Lord is at hand. He's nearby. And he's close by. Psalm 23. What does Psalm 23 say about the presence of the Lord? Maybe it doesn't say anything. Let's see. Um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. For, there it is. For thou art with me. Thou art with me. And so Jesus is close by all the time, but especially in worship is that the case, and with our singing. So that ought to, uh, that ought to, to raise awareness of singing. Uh, for us to do all that we can do to praise the Lord in song and lift each other up and teach and admonish one another in song and um, work at uh, becoming more and more of a, of a better worshiper in song. The symbol of the mercy seat is sort of a symbol of God. And, and so today that would be like a symbol of Christ and His people. Okay. So, all right. So far, any uh, additional comments? We've gotten down through verse uh, 12. Anything that we need to add as we are moving along here, uh, at least through verse 12? What our brother Jesus uh, does for us. <coughs> Certainly, in the fourth place, uh, our brother is an example for us. He's the perfect example for us. Notice what verse 13 says. Uh, again, I will put my trust in him. This is Jesus talking. This is, this is Jesus. A quotation from the Old Testament. It's probably Isaiah 12, verse 2. Uh, but I will put my trust in him. All right, now, carefully watch this. Carefully. The Lord is saying, I will put my trust in the Father... And then notice what the next verse says. I and the children God has given me. Look what, look what that's saying. The Lord expects us to trust the Father just as He trusts the Father. I will put my trust in Him, Jesus says that. And the children God has given me, that's us, that's us, they will do the same. Well, they should do the same. Take your Bibles and you run back, hurry, to Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12. Notice these two verses together, 2 and 3. This is, these verses in Isaiah 12 just have so much um, meaning toward our day. So, Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I won't be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. So, verse 3, with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's what we do. You ever, you ever heard of the song, Trust and Obey? Sure you have. That's Isaiah 12, 2 and 3. We will put our trust in Him and then we will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's obeying. God places the wells on the water of salvation before us, we must draw out of that. That's our obedience. 
So Jesus is the perfect example for us in that he trusts the Lord. Now look at look back here in verse ten. Uh, yeah, the author of our salvation made perfect through through suffering. Many commentators say that the word Arthur there, sometimes translated founder, sometimes translated captain, actually means a trailblazer. A trailblazer. Trailblazer is in military. Uh, Old military times, they would have, they would cut through a wooded area uh, in order to try to sneak up on the enemy. But they would send trailblazers ahead of them uh, to cut the path for them, okay. and so that the warriors could come on through. Jesus went ahead of us, and he blazed a trail, a trail really made by his example. Okay. Um, uh, you know, First Peter two twenty one, uh, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Um, Jesus grew, Luke two fifty two, he, he grew up in uh, wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. We pattern our life after Christ. We won't go wrong, especially in the regard to how He trusted the Lord. They even made fun of Him at the cross. They said He trusted in God. He trusted in God. Why can't he save himself and that kind of thing? All right? So we get down to verse 14 through 15 here. And the fifth thing that Jesus does, he destroys the works of the devil. Notice that, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, that's all the human beings, all human beings. He himself likewise partook of the same. Jesus became flesh. John 1, 14. Jesus became flesh. Uh, Jesus became, um, took on the manner of men, Philippians 2, uh, verse 7. He took on flesh. He partook of the same. Why? Why, Lord? Why did you partake of flesh? Why did you come down here? Notice the next statement there in verse 14. That through death, he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now the word destroy there does not mean annihilate because we know the devil's still at work. Okay. So he didn't he didn't he didn't poof and get rid of the, the devil. He didn't make him vanish. Right. But he did do a heavy blow. He did bring a heavy blow to Satan. Okay. As the Lord said he would, way back in Genesis three fifteen, in that promise, he would bruise the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. So he, he laid a heavy blow. He, he, he cleared the way to where we can handle Satan if we just will. We can handle him. Okay. As Paul says um, in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices, the Satan's devices, because we have the word of God. And we have the example of Jesus. And we have the Christian armor. You know, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We, we have the Christian armor that we can put on. And so... Christ has made it to where the, the devil, he's not gone, but he has been made none effect if we will follow in the paths of the Lord. Destroy him. First John 3 verse 8 also says this, that Jesus came into the world, was made manifest in the flesh, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, he says here that destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil has some power, but he doesn't have power to directly take a life. 
The devil does not have the power to directly take someone's life. If he did, none of us would be alive, right? Remember the conversation that God had with Satan back in the book of Job? God allowed Satan to afflict Job, but did not allow him to take his life. And you remember that. So, Satan has power, but he has, um, he has limited power. Jesus came to destroy the devil, which he did, and ultimately, uh, after this earth, after judgment, uh, if, we, if we were to read all of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we would see that the devil would be completely destroyed at that time. Like 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be unto the Lord Jesus who has given us the victory. So you remember that. So he come, the, the bro, our brother, and we have the best brother ever in Christ, and he came to destroy the, the works of the devil. He came to destroy the devil. Now, the next thing our brother does for us is found in verse 15. Hebrews 2.15. Who would like to read that for us? Hebrews 2.15. And delivered them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay. So, I guess this is number six. This is number six. Let's see. He brought many sons to glory, sanctifies people, uh, symbols with people to encourage them. He provides as the trailblazer. He provides the perfect example. He has come, our brother come, and destroyed the, the biggest enemy ever. But now that brings us down to verse 15. Jesus came to deliver us from what? All right. Jesus came, our brother, our brother, what big brothers do. Big brothers protect the little brothers. Jesus came to deliver us, what does it say? From the fear of death. Okay. Asha says, um, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong uh, slavery. Slavery. So human beings, and y'all tell me if I'm, if I'm off on this. This is how I read this. Human beings on earth spend a lifetime being a slave to the fear of death. But because of the power of Jesus' death and his resurrection, which is um, explained to us in the gospel message, then through that, he is able to deliver us, followers of him, he is able to deliver us from this dread of the tomb. Okay. Now let's notice this in Scripture. Scripture. 
Let's start in 2 Timothy 1, then we'll run to Romans for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Brother Ken, you want to read that for us? 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Through the gospel. Through the gospel. So by the means of the gospel message, then this fear of death uh, is to be extinguished in the life of the Christian. This is supposed to be one of the blessings of being in Christ. It's, it's supposed to be one of our primary blessings. It is supposed to be the attraction. Um, you know, uh, Acts 2.47, the, the early church found favor, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church such as those who were being saved. This is part of our favor with people. Is that they would notice that yeah we are saddened by death. But we're not hopeless in death. So we find that out as you see here in, in 2 Timothy 1.10. Um, through the gospel. Turn back with me please to Romans now. Romans Chapter 8. Notice what it says in verse 15. Romans 8. Verse 15. Well. Verse 14 will begin. Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear... But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And notice how that verse ties in well with what we're just uh, talking about. Romans 8, verse 15. God didn't give us this spirit of fear that will create a slave to that fear. Now look at Romans uh, Chapter 8, 37 through 39. Andrew, you going to read that for us? Uh, Romans 8, 37 to 39. With the thoughts we just talked about, the verses we just talked about, with this in view, now look at verses 37 and 39 of Romans 8. Notice that part of that list there, neither death nor life, neither death nor life shall separate us from the love of God which we have in Christ. Thank you for reading that for us. This is why Paul could be Paul in Philippians 1, 21 to 23, when he said, for me to live is Christ and to do what? 
die is gain. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul is doing the writing here in Romans. I think when Jimmy Clark comes and teaches during our VBS sometimes, he talks a lot about Hebrews, and he's convinced that Paul was a writer of Hebrews. I think he is. So, Jimmy hears this, and that's not right. He'll, he'll call me. But um, Hebrews has a lot of characteristics of Paul, um, but doesn't necessarily, we don't necessarily have to know who the writer is, right, to, be, to benefit from it. So, hmm? Yeah, Jesus is the ultimate author, right? But um, notice now, let's let's go back to Satan a minute. So Jesus come to destroy Satan. Satan has the power of death. Destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, the devil's situation there is really related to what Jesus says in John 8, 44. When he says concerning Satan... He was a murderer, murderer from the beginning. And that he is the father of what? Liars. And so Satan um, is is designed, is is described here as, as one who has the power of death in the sense that he began it, or he was he's the source of death. Through lies. Now, connect that down to the slavery of men. Satan then, see if this is fair, Satan then, then, through lies and fear, seeks to control men. Because that's what slavery is, right? It's a control of another person. What, what is Satan able to use? It basically deceit. Deceit coupled with fear is a lot of the ways in which Satan does his work uh, today. Christ come to deliver us from the, the clutches of Satan, which is, involves delivering us from the fear of death. Christ brought truth. Christ brought truth. And, and love. There's no fear in love, I think John said, first John. Okay, the devil's been holding over man. You sin, you're going to die. Jesus said, I paid that price for my blood. You can't hold them no more. They're going to be free because of me. Good point. Very good point. Okay. So, looking at Hebrews 2, we didn't get all the way down through verse uh, 18, but. Um, as we're closing our class part of our evening, what else do you do you see here, or any questions you have, or further comments you need need to add? There's a lot of emphasis here on Jesus taking on human flesh. Verse 16 says, "Not to angels did he give help, but to the seed of Abraham." In other words, he didn't come to take on the nature of angels. Angels are not flesh and blood. Uh, 
Hebrews 1, I think, uh, 13 and 14 says they're spirit, spirit beings. Jesus didn't come to take on, he didn't come to the earth to save angels. Come to save humans. Right? So, um, I don't know, has this been helpful at all? Christ is our brother. And the things he does uh, for us. Um, David, the Greeks could not stand the idea of spirit and body in one person being God. They could not in their mind focus. If you were spirit, then you were perfect. But if you took on a human body, that made you imperfect. And that is foolishness to them. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Christ becoming flesh it can't be grasped by anybody in, in totality. It's a great mystery. Great mystery. It's a wonderful mystery. We don't have to be able to explain all of it to be able to teach it and to, to uh, appreciate it and to live under his, his gospel.